Hello and welcome to the Race FF Podcast. I am your host, the only person that really runs this entire podcast, uh, Jaime Garcia. And today, um, I, I am still kind of at a loss for words, to be honest, but um, I have a multi-championship uh, winning driver, um, half of the uh, Dinner with Racers um host uh pretty much everybody who drives hondas and road races looks up to this guy i mean you need to be watching his amazon series uh dinner with racers uh all all of the i'm just like flabbergasted still (laughs) to be quite honest uh ryan eversley right here on the race ff podcast (laughs) how you doing Jaime? doing all right Doing awesome, man. Um, uh, both of us uh, came back from a race weekend. Obviously, you did awesome going from DFL to uh, position seven, and that's so dope, man. I, I mean, to come from the back and move up that many places to be where you were at, that's that that's a testament to how good the car and you and the team has been. So that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, you know, it wasn't our our best race. We definitely had some uh we had some, you know, tough battles that I had to had to overcome. My teammate Greg didn't get a lot of track time mm-hmm. and he was really still trying to figure out the TCR car at Sebring and it takes a lot of commitment to get the speed out of that car at Sebring. You have to be really willing to push the limits in turn 17, which is fast on entry, and you have to be really willing to push the limits in turn 1, which is fast in any car at Sebring. And so he was still trying to figure that out when we, uh, when we got going with, um, uh, with the race. So, uh, the first session we had an overheating problem, which turned out to be the thermostat, which we normally remove for a warmer race weekends, but Daytona Mm -hmm. it's cooler. And we run the thermostat at Daytona just to kind of keep the car from getting too cold and, uh, just keeping the temperature where we want it. And so that was just a small mistake that we made. And, they took that out, but that basically meant we missed the first session. So Greg was playing catch up the rest of the weekend. Yeah, it's kind of hard uh, when you start off from like the uh, I forget the specific thing from the back foot or whatnot. When you feel like uh, things aren't running at like perfect to kind of uh, not not perform your best because you have that like whole little mindset. But you know, uh, it's funny you mentioned a thermostat because that literally cost me an engine. So I completely sympathize with the faulty thermostats. It's kind of reassuring to know that those things still happen at the pro level. So, yeah, I, I don't feel too too bad. Oh, yeah. I've had race weekends in pro racing where really dumb little things have cost us, you know, results or sessions or, or just a fast lap or something. So don't feel bad. I mean, like, pros do dumb stuff all the time, myself <laughs> included. So, um obviously there's so much information about you and you've shared so much in uh dinner with racers and i've listened to pretty much i'm not gonna say all of them but uh i say probably high 70 to 80 percent of your podcast from the first ones that you did with uh rutledge wood and um tanner faust I, i don't know that if that was the first ones but those were the some of the older ones that i could uh listen to and during this this whole time i never heard you really talk about your first track day and according to wikipedia because i'm a good researcher (laughs) uh, (laughs) your first track day uh is listed as sonoma where you used uh something our younger viewers may not know called aol chat or something like that and yeah. uh, somehow convince somebody to um, let you borrow their race car. And what was it? What's the story? I, I really would like to know. Yeah, so uh, AOL chat rooms used to be kind of like message boards and forums. You know, like it was kind of, yeah. they, they had a forum called Auto Racing One. Wow. And uh, I, met a, I met a guy in there named Chris Nelson, who was my age. He lived out in uh, San Francisco area. Mm-hmm. And he... He had inherited a little bit of money, and uh, from a, from a I think his grandmother passed away, and and so with that small fortune, he went and bought a race car and a trailer, and uh, basically you know 
spent all his money on, on the race car and, and got that. And it was a Formula Mazda. And that's back when it was the two-frame car that was the same Formula Mazda that they used in the Pro Series. So it was a pretty fast car. And he had had, Chris had had a bunch of experience with open wheel stuff at the Formula Russell school out there. And so um, basically the deal was if I could cover the expenses for the weekend, you know, Chris, Chris and I would go run this car with his dad, Bob, and oh. the three of us would go try to be, try to be racers, you know, and try to, and try to run. And so we entered it in a, a Skip Barber season opener. So my first race I ever did outside of racing school or go-karts was racing a Formula Mazda at Sonoma, which is a very fast track that requires a lot of confidence and, yeah. and using the aerodynamics. And I had no clue what I was doing, but you know, you jump in the deep end, you start swimming and paddling and you try to figure it out. And so, uh, yeah, I think I finished dead last in all my races that weekend. And I left <laughs> going, I, I can't wait to do this again, you know? So, and you were, hooked. Uh, and you were hooked. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I knew I sucked. I wasn't like, Oh man, I'm good. I got this. It was like, you know, I, I was calling, I, I have very good friends in the sport that I'd made as a mechanic at this point. So I was calling like Andy Lally and I was calling my friend Chad Block who had raced in the pro series in Star Mazda. And I was like, oh, I'm terrible. And they're like, it's fine. You'll get there. You know, like, don't worry about it. And so, uh, you know, Chris and I tried to try to grow up and become race car drivers. And so it was a lot of fun. And I just saw him. I just went to Sonoma two or three weeks ago to race in the SRO GT4 series, GT4 yeah. America. And, and Chris and his son came by and I got to chat with him for a few minutes and it's great to be able to see him all these years later. That's so cool. The fact that you could still, and you know, motorsports from what I'm learning and mind you, um, at the grassroots level at the club racer scene. So what I'm learning is that one of the biggest things that you can do when you're starting out is be friendly with people around you. You never know how that's going to positively affect you in uh, the future because there's going to be people who are going to need something and may even need a driver. I, I know that I've gotten offers from uh, fellow competitors or whatnot to drive their cars, even when my car has been down. And I mean, dude, like to have somebody just offer you their race car, like to me is, oh, it feels like such a sacred uh, thing to get into. It's like, you know, I, I worked so hard on my car and it's still like a street car. So like to have the have the faith in you uh, to give somebody that car and allow them to go out and do pretty much one of the most dangerous things in, in the world, which <laughs> is going out in a, in a racetrack. And it's um, it's interesting that I found out that you did your first race in Sonoma because that was one of my first uh, wheel to wheel races with uh, 24 hours of lemons. Um, and we go ahead. Sorry. So, and I was going to say, and for, for people that don't know my background, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So Sonoma's nowhere near home no, for me, it's not. <laughs> you know, it's really far away, but that was, that was the opportunity I had because I knew somebody that had a race car. So, you know what I mean? And as an early racer, even later in your career, you still got to take all the opportunities that make sense. Exactly. And so, and so, yeah, so it, that was kind of random for me to have my first race at Sonoma, whereas I know you're a California guy, so you're 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 out at like what I call Fontana, uh, and and Sonoma and things like that pretty regularly, right? Well, so uh, California, and I'm sure you know this, it's like really split up into two uh, different sections for like the organization that I run with, with this yeah. Pro Racing, and I hardly yeah. go up to uh, Northern California mainly because of budget, but also it's like distance, like. I really have to commit to go up to Sonoma. I think for us, it was like an eight eight or nine hour uh, tow when we did uh, Lemons when we first went out there. Um, but for me, most of the tracks that I do run are uh, Button Willow, Big Willow, uh, the Fast Track, and Auto Club Speedway for as long as NASCAR allows us to have that track before they right, make it into right. a shorter track. But you know what? NASCAR brings way more fans than we do, so you know it's it's their track, and we're we're lucky enough to drive that track and actually see triple digit uh, speeds consistently in our cars. So I'm thankful for that opportunity. Yeah, that, I mean that's a that's a cool track. I've raced there once in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo series, <laughs> and and they had to run a chicane on the front strip because that car's so fast. They were afraid Jeez. we're gonna have tire blowout issues. And it was funny because they basically made a little cone chicane 
and like two two laps in, I think maybe it was Elton Julian. I can't remember. Somebody somebody purposely knocked down a couple of them to make it a lot easier to get through there. The next thing you know, we're going through turn one in those Lambos like really fast. It was like, man, this is nuts. It was awesome. I, I can't imagine how fast uh, an actual like aerodynamically uh, smooth car like a Lamborghini um, would do. I think we had a guy who had kind of like a, a, a street-ish uh, Viper ACR, a pretty good driver. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw his data just before we got on uh, the podcast and he was pulling about 163 miles per hour. And about two G's of lateral force on a Viper yeah. ACR, which is ridiculously fast. Yeah, that's really fast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in in my little Civic, I I did get a tow um, in in a Mustang. Another friend of mine uh, went out there, and I, I don't trust the speedometer on the car, but it did kind of hover around the one twenty mark. So I, mm-hmm. I was I was very happy with that in the little uh, ninety three Civic Si. <laughs> oh yeah, man, that's cranking for a little car. Yeah, it, yeah. Still, it still has all the features in it. I mean, it's got uh, AC, cru- cruise control, um, everything still in it, and the little yeah. single cam engine. And now I remember you mentioned um, that you knew Andy Lally and um, other pro racers through your background as a mechanic and so when you started out you obviously i know from listening to your dinner with racers and your instagram stories whenever you share uh pictures of your dad uh being a mechanic that was pretty much your in um in motorsports was it not or yeah, basically, my my dad <clears throat> was a very uh, accomplished sports car racing car chief, crew chief, team manager, fabricator, the whole thing. And so I, from you know, very very early on in my life, was already at the racetrack, trying to be you know just be around it and loved it and wanted to be involved somehow, some way. And then when I started out uh, trying to get a get my foot in the door in the business the only option I really had was to try to get a job with the race team and hope that I could find my way behind the wheel and mm-hmm. so my my parents and I thought that trying to get a job as a mechanic as a junior mechanic would be a good idea and mm-hmm. there was a driver named David Murray who had done that with my uh, dad's team back in the 80s oh. as a gopher he basically he would sweep floors he'd run and get parts he'd go get take out food if it was a late night it just didn't matter you know doing all the crappy jobs no one else wants to do like an intern Mm -hmm. and uh and that was my first job and i got to work uh underneath andy lally and he was still a rookie kid in sports car racing at that point but we now know he would go on to be one of the winningest sports car drivers in u.s history so it was like you know we we uh we kind of grew up in the sport together and then as i started to drive i was able to lean on him for solid you know actual information from one of the best guys to ever do it and i think that gave me such a huge advantage compared to other kids trying to do what i was trying to do yeah, I mean, and it goes to show you that no matter where you are, just keeping up those friendships and keeping up those um, connections that you make when you're starting out really do pay dividends in the future. And um, one of the things that I really did enjoy on your podcast is sometimes you would talk to people who um, maybe didn't have as much success as they their talent should have uh, given them because sometimes uh, their attitudes didn't match up with the team. And sometimes it, it wasn't even an attitude uh, issue. It was just like they just didn't uh, flow well with the uh, team. And a lot of um, what I've seen uh, successful drivers and su- uh, successful teams do is that they mesh well with the driver and the team because it's um, at, at the end of the day, you, you really depend on both of each other to like um, come up with a successful vehicle. Yeah. There's a couple of ways that I've seen it go and I've been involved with. I mean, sometimes you'll, you'll know of somebody and their reputation from around the sport and then you work with them and it's not that they're bad or overrated. Mm-hmm. It's that you guys just might not gel or you might not have yeah. a similar opinion on how, how you want to get the job accomplished. 
And that's kind of weird or frustrating at times because you're like, man, I thought working with so-and-so would be really easy for me. And it turned out it was just as difficult as, as anyone else. And then there are other times <clears throat> uh, where you don't know the people you're going to work with that well, or maybe you don't know their background. And then it turns out they're one of the best you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, one of my uh, uh, engineers that I had at real time racing was a guy named Chris Willis, Willis and Chris Willis is probably the best engineer I've ever worked with. That doesn't mean he's the best engineer out there. He and I just clicked. Yeah. And to me, he's the best out there because he could get what I needed out of the car for me. He could make the car do what I needed it to do. And so, you know, he and I together, I thought were extremely successful because we understood each other. And I'm sure there are other engineers that even Chris would say are better than him, mm-hmm. but uh, they might not, they might not understand me the way that Chris does, or mm-hmm. I might not understand what they want and it might not work that way. And so I think you look at some of the most histo- uh, successful racing drivers in history and you'll see a partnership with an engineer or a crew chief or even just the crew that they all understand what they're trying to do together and that's what makes you successful and one of the easiest ways that you can have people want to work hard for you and push that extra limit is be someone they want to be around yeah you know like we talk about this on on our show all the time being likable yeah. And it's got to be genuine likability. It can't be yeah. like put on a face and you'll be full of shit. You need to be someone that people want to be around. I, I When I was a mechanic, Andy was our driver when I first started. Yeah. And he's such a good dude. And he's such a hardworking driver that you wanted to stay late and put more effort in because, you know, he was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was going to work his butt off in the gym. He's going to be trying to figure out how to make that car faster. And so I remembered that when I became a driver, I'm like, man, I worked my butt off for people that I respected and I knew would take advantage of the extra effort. And so I've always tried to instill that when I go to teams, you know, to the best of my ability and uh, just let them know that I appreciate the work they're putting in. Cause I've done that job. I've seen those hours and how hard it can be. And I think that helps me gel and it helps me communicate with the crew a little better than maybe a driver that didn't have my background. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that you worked up as like, you know, somebody who, turned wrenches and did all of those work it, it really gives a, a different uh, perspective on the organization as a whole that you're involved with because you can truly appreciate the like blood sweat and tears that goes into um a mechanic doing um the level of work that maybe somebody who just grew up as a, specifically as a driver um wouldn't have that uh intuition right there and sometimes uh, the littlest things you do for uh others uh pay dividends like i i got saved from a spec 944 racer because my lower alternator bolt uh, flew off on on track somewhere and uh he gave me a spare bolt and i didn't have one so i was able to make it home um you brought up uh real-time racing and as a honda fanatic i mean hell i even learned japanese because i like honda so much um Real-time racing is kind of like our American spoon, if you will, in terms that they were doing touring car racing and really competing against uh, kind of a daunting task um, with all of the major manufacturers that were out there uh, competing in the late 90s with the Civic Type R, or not the Civic Type R's, the Integra Type R's. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, real-time made the Integra Type R, one of the most winning uh, cars in uh, in uh, touring car. Uh, I forget what specific class they were in, but uh, I'm sure you know this a lot better than I do. So tell me. Yeah, they were. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Well, they they were the champions in the uh, uh, world uh, in World Challenge touring car. Yeah, is basically probably the most common name that people would remember and it kind of changed over the years mm-hmm. here and there what the name was but world challenge touring car champions they also won the gt championship with pd driving the nsx and so i mean if you look at real time history i think they've won with every car they've ever raced has won at least one race including the recent nsx when we ran that uh in 2017 and then in 2018 we ran the tcr civic and that same touring car class that they have so much history in and we won the driver's championship there. So it's uh, it, one of the most successful programs in sports car racing history. By far, Honda's best, Honda and Acura's best motorsports 
partner they've ever had. If you look at the, the not only the success they had, but the, the longevity of the program and how many people know the real-time brand and they know it from Honda and Acura products. You know, many teams have come and gone with Honda Acura programs, but literally real-time is the standout successful team of their history in North America. And when I got the opportunity to sign up to drive for them, and at the end of 2014, I couldn't believe what was happening because they were yeah, that's the so team I wanted to drive for. When I was in high school, I, I tell the story all the time, but we used to have these like little agendas, which is like a little book that you had to have yeah, to yeah, get, yeah. you know, the bathroom break or you know your schedule and all that. Yeah. And the thing to do is to t- you take nail polish remover and you clear out the top, the, the front. You know, you'd, you'd clear the the design yeah. off the front, and then and then you'd stick pictures on it. And the front of mine was a picture of the three Type R's at Seaburn going into oh. Turn 7. There's the tail. That was me in high school. You know, so then imagine, you know, t- 10 years later, I get the call to drive for them in yeah. the in the TLX. It, it was like, I can't believe this is happening. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, that that's so awesome. And, I mean, for me, like, I, I grew up um, with, you know, my dad being – well, I, I didn't really have anybody um, showing me, like, motorsports, so I never really understood um, or knew um, how 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 well uh, real-time did. And for me, I was just like, oh, well, Hondas are usually a little bit slower, but they handle well. And all I knew about uh, road racing um, Hondas and Acuras was uh, from the Japanese side and uh, JDM Option and... Uh, Keichi Suchia and Spoon and all of that and to know that not only did we have a manufacturer uh, or a team here in the U.S. that was doing these things but doing them at such a high level that they like you said some of the most winning uh, uh, teams out there with uh, each one of their platforms uh, just dominating in their respective fields and I remember hearing on another podcast that you were on, uh, I think it was the Check Engine podcast, uh, mm-hmm. that you uh, talked about mentoring with HPD. Could you go into it that a little bit? Uh, well, uh, the current program at HPD that I think I was referring to is probably the GT3 Junior Academy. Yes. If that's, yeah. yeah that's and the one. so, uh, yeah, so currently myself and uh, you know a couple other factory drivers for Honda and Acura and a couple of non-factory drivers that are still racing our products have, have helped coach these junior drivers. For example, Taylor Hagler, who was my teammate mm-hmm. last year in IMSA, she was a part of that project. And now she and a kid named Dakota Dickerson and Jacob Abel, the three of them are, are splitting a season of SRO and an NSX basically together. And uh, those kids have now gotten uh, two podiums and two and two races, so they're having a good start to the year. Um, but they, uh, they basically HPD decided that they wanted to try to bring some junior drivers up through the ranks in the GT3 mm-hmm. car, and so we go to several tracks all over the country. We have Racers Edge Motorsports, which is a longtime staple of sports car racing in North America, uh, at pro- providing the support and engineering on the program and got some really great mechanics on that team and uh their engineers everybody's tip top really good to work with and so we've uh we've had a lot of fun helping these four young drivers carl whitmer jacob abel dakota dickerson and taylor hagler kind of find their feet in motorsports and it sounds like that's going to kick off again here in the next couple of months and we're going to do another version of it and uh, i think that's something they want to do annually where they help bring drivers up through the ranks yeah and that's something awesome about honda in I mean, even at the club racer level, there's um, HPD does do like some support for some of the new um, Civic SIs and Civic uh, Type Rs, obviously the TCR car that you're racing. Um, And right now the uh, Civic SI, the coupe that uh, HPD uh, sells as a turnkey race car is starting to make its way into into the grassroots level and they're very very well sorted out vehicles and they're proper quick um i mean i think uh i remember in sro or or what used to be pirelli world challenge tom o'gorman also had a huge success in the um two-door uh coupe car i think he did win overall 
if I'm not mistaken, uh, battling up against uh, what seemed to be a little bit uh, better built or uh, more competitive um, <clears throat> FRSs and other cars that just seem to be getting a lot of uh, support, like the uh, Hyundais, which have just kind of shot out out of nowhere and gone from a company that's not even... I, I never even considered them a sports car company to now they're getting like really impressive for what they're doing. Yeah. You know, HPDs are doing a great job with uh, understanding what racers from the pro level down to the grassroots level. And even like guys that are just doing track days, they're trying to really understand and establish themselves in that market. And the good news is, is that they have so many years of success since they started in mm -hmm. 1993 with Indy IndyCar and prototypes and things like that. And now they've gotten their way into lower level sedan racing like the uh, you know, Civic SI that you mentioned, the, the Type R now. We have several different versions and variations mm -hmm. that are racing that we support. And uh, we can take you all the way to a GT3 car and uh, also to a prototype car. So yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. I, I love that they're growing their brand on the lower level stuff. Yeah. I went to a, uh, I did a champ car race last year no way. Uh, at Red Atlanta. Yeah, oh, I didn't drive cool. a, I, I didn't drive a Honda though, so we'll skip over that part. But uh, <laughs> I owed, I owed a guy a favor who had a Mini Cooper, and so I, I called my boss and said, "Hey, look, I told this guy a while ago I would drive his car for him, and he's a good dude, and, and it'll, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not selling Minis, I'm selling Hondas." And they're like, "No, no, it's all good." But when I got there, I couldn't believe all the Hondas that were there, and I was like, "Man, I got to call some of these guys see if I can come drive their cars." But uh, it's great to see so many HPD stickers out there, and yeah. you know some of the suspension pieces they're selling are getting more popular, and uh -huh. performance products like that. And I think you'll see that continue to grow. And the the thing that I love about HPD is a lot of these guys, especially on the road racing stuff, are club racers and amateur racers themselves, and some have even raced at a pro level, you know, throughout the years. So having them actually be racers helps, I think, not only come up with a product to understand what the customer is looking for yeah and so you know it's, it's kind of neat to see that because i don't know that a company like you mentioned like hyundai which is just kind of coming into the performance world i don't yeah. know that they have racers working at their company they might i just honestly don't i don't know that they do so i can say that honda absolutely does have racers working not only on their racing products but even at the factory in ohio you know the heart program that i drove for the honda yeah. America race team all of those guys race their own cars and club racing and pro racing and stuff. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm uh, extremely biased cause I'm a Honda fanboy. but when you yeah. look at, you know, some of the most winning um, engines, engine sales, it's phenomenal. And I mean, what Honda was able to do with uh, Red Bull with supplying them uh, an engine and then being out of formula one for so long and then just going in there and, just showing the reliability that was lacking it is I, I was just like shocked at how well well i shouldn't be shocked it's a honda i mean that all i own is hondas all i race are hondas <laughs> so i mean i know how good these cars can be and you know that that's kind of why i chose uh, a honda to race is because you know, when you look at all the everything out there, I wanted something that was going to be dead uh, reliable, competitive. And, you know, it has a storied uh, history here in the U.S. And, you know, m many people don't look at these cars as uh, being American, but in many ways, they're more American than some of the most uh, American car brands here. I mean, you mentioned Ohio, and I believe that's where the NSX is uh, currently built. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's built in the uh, Performance Manufacturing Center, which is a state-of-the-art facility they built specifically to produce the NSX. And I believe they're going to try to start producing other things out of that, that building. But it's like one of these amazing – I mean, it looks like NASA inside that building. And it's really cool that, that uh, Acura took the time and the money and the expertise to build such a unique facility. But, yeah, that's a badass sports car that's built right in Ohio – and uh, every now and then some smart ass will give me crap about driving for, an, for a Japanese company. And I'm like, look, yeah, it's Japanese companies. This car is built in Ohio. Yeah. How cool is that? This is an American supercar. It happens to be owned by a Japanese parent company, but that's built in Ohio by Americans. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, even when I look into uh, some of the 
like my 2000 Civic Si uh, or 2009 Civic Si, uh, some of the engine ma uh, were made here in uh, the U.S. or I think it was U.S. and uh, Canada has a, another manufacturing plant. But I, I'm, the more you look into it, the more you see that Honda has been uh, putting a lot of resources and building and manufacturing here in the U.S. And I mean, I live down the street from HPD, and they make um what is it uh indycar engines over there and i got a chance to walk in there one time and see you know a v8 honda engine and it's just like wow something that's not like in the commercial sales for a commercial vehicle but you just see something that's like that beautiful and know that they have a storied history in the, in winning and making reliable engines so, yeah it's a pretty neat it's a yeah, go ahead. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, being that it's a Japanese uh, manufacturer and you are a road racer, so I'm guessing that there's a lot of uh, racing that you're obviously looking forward to. Have you ever looked into racing in uh, Japan? Well, I, I really wanted to race the World Touring Car Civic after I won the championship and World Challenge in 2018. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like the budgets and how it's controlled with the sponsorship over there. It's just kind of, it's just a weird mm -hmm. thing to kind of na navigate, but I would, I would love to race for Honda or Acura anywhere. But if I could go do the, the Honda civic type R and the world touring car series, even as a one-off, I think that'd be so cool to yeah. go show those guys and show like people over here, like, hey, we can go over there and compete. I have no doubt in my mind I can run with those guys. Um, I think that I race against some of the best drivers in the world. I know I do when I drive the NSX mm -hmm. at Daytona or, you know, at World Challenge GT3 in 2017 had some of the most stacked GT3 lineups in the, the, the world's ever seen, and I was able to compete with those guys. So I'm sure if I went and raced World uh, World Touring Car for Honda, I would, I would represent well, but I also think it would be great to have an American over there, even if it wasn't me. To yeah. be in those those series, I, I mean, it it would uh, kind of solidify how um, how much uh, Honda really pushes uh, the American manufacturing area to kind of show uh, talents that are coming up, and that that would be really cool to see like an American representing us in some of the most um, storied and iconic racing tracks. I mean, what what tracks uh, like? in the world uh have you looked into that you would be stoked to drive uh something like the that uh tcr car or the world touring car well yeah i'm sure like the nordish life and the touring car i mean it's probably cool in anything but I, yeah. i'm so comfortable with the uh type r civic that i think i would i would be able to push right away you know what i mean like i, I would immediately try to find the limit uh but i mean like Driving the 24 hours of spa is a big, big thing I want to try to do somehow. I'd love to be able to get in one of those cars and, and go for, go for like a Honda factory ride there. Uh, the NSX, I think there was only one of them last year racing in the GT3 series over there. So, you know, they kind of filled that car pretty quickly, but, um, you know, I, dude, I'll drive anything anywhere. Of I course. just want to race. Of course. Like, that, I, that's, I, I like, that's the racer in you saying that, uh, dude, just, let me go. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, anytime I see a Honda racing somewhere and I'm not in it, I'm like, why do I get to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I just, I, it's not, it's not like I, I'm like me, me, me. It's more like, I just want to be able to compete for wins. Mm -hmm. And like, I wouldn't just want to go drive somebody's box of crap if it wasn't going to be competitive, you know, like I yeah. want to go do well. But uh, it, uh, even then it's like, if somebody said, Hey, come drive this S2000. It's got a thousand horsepower. It's probably going to blow up in three laps. I'm like, okay, well, two laps will be pretty fun. <laughs> you know, like, let's go, let's go, let's go try it out. And I've made that really clear to all my bosses at HPD and Honda. I'm like, you tell me when and where, and I'll be there ready to go. Um, but, you know, it'd be cool to be able to race in Japan. I've always wanted to go to Suzuka. I think it's a fun layout to play on simulators. Um, you know, doing something like Spa or Nürburgring would be, would be huge. And then I want to, I want to continue to do the big races here. I want to run the Daytona 24 hour as much as I can before I, before I retire. Mm -hmm. And uh, they only race that once a year, you know, so it's like hard to get in that race. Yeah. And there's so much competition from uh, P 
people, gentlemen racers and uh, uh, yep. other people who, who pay a lot of money to be part of that. And it's uh, kind of like Indy yep. Yep. is for, uh, for a lot of people. Sometimes uh, from what I've heard in your podcast that people treat that as like almost the entire season being uh, pushed into just one race for <clears throat> Indy, for doing the Indy 500. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. If you look at some, yeah, some of those drivers, that's all they do is they raise funding for that event because obviously it's Indy 500, it's a big deal. But then the money they'll make back for the prize money is enough to be like their salaries for the year, and so it's almost like wow. the one r- ride that matters. And honestly, I get it because it seems like it's such a crazy, awesome thing to do. But also, if you can make a lot of money for that one off, then yeah, like why wouldn't you try for that? Yeah, and I mean that yeah. that's kind of like a that brings me to something that um I often talk to uh people who aren't into the road racing scene or automotive scene and when I tell them I, I go out to a racetrack they're like, Oh, there it must be full of spectators and it's like, No, no it's not and you know the races like the indie that are iconic, you get spectators, you get people that go and watch and tune in and it and it brings me to something that you've championed a, a lot in that uh how successful nascar is um in spite of uh some of the bad raps that it gets and you know that for all the critiques that nascar gets is you know they have some of the biggest of uh viewerships they have people that show up and go to their races where and some sports cars uh or especially like at the grassroots level we have like whoever I brought with me and that's about it watching. Yeah. Yeah. I think <clears throat> one of our goals with our show dinner with racers is to try and let fans realize that there is cool stuff going on. Even if there's a stigma about something else, you know what I mean? Like it's always surprising to me when, when I talk to somebody about NASCAR, this actually happened this past weekend at Sebring. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody that's pretty knowledgeable and they're, their opinion of NASCAR was that there's only like 10 to 15 good drivers in it. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I was like, no, those, almost everybody in that series is really, really good. And I believe that because I've spent time watching it and I know friends that have gone over to do it. And I know the level of, of talent that's there. I just, you know, being, I, I consider myself a racing expert at this point. And uh, if I can help open someone's eyes up to a different kind of racing, whether it's a NASCAR fan coming to sports car racing or the other way, I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's something that's, you know, something I'm going to be proud of later in life. And every now, like you just kind of said yourself, like we, we've championed education on different types of racing. I'm damn proud of that. I think that's something that I'll always cherish because I have that opportunity through our podcast and TV show to like open people's eyes to what I think is interesting. And if they learn something, then, then I've done something you know better than just driving around in circles myself. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll be that person because when I first started out, you know, I saw NASCAR and I'm just like, okay, it's a bunch of V8s and they only make left turns. Uh, how hard can mm-hmm. it be? It's like, who cares what kind of brake technology and all the stuff that they're uh, doing in there? I, I, I was super dismissive. And it wasn't really until I started hearing from um, some, some of the more senior instructors and uh, at my grassroots level that I started hearing them and the way that they talked about NASCAR. And I was like, huh, well, this guy's really fast and knowledgeable and he's saying that they're doing dope stuff there. Um, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. And then when I started hearing, uh, you know, all your interviews with a lot of the greats of uh, NASCAR and the historic um, just, how some of these drivers really made it kind of like a hustle almost to get into NASCAR and a race and go around in like Wisconsin and like race each other and uh, win prize money and kind of like build themselves out and how competitive it was. It's, it was really eye opening to me to know that, Oh crap. Like, no, this is a way more skilled than, um, I was uh, understanding, and I, I, your um, podcast has really opened my eyes, and I and I bring this up to other people who I meet because you know I'm SoCal, I'm the son of an immigrant, um, 
nobody does any road racing. I'm just a weird anomaly that did it. And uh, I've learned uh, through my exposure with media like yourselves that, wow, um, I, I forget who who you guys were pushing for. Well, Wiki or something uh, for the NASCAR. Yeah, Alan Kowicki. There we yeah, go. Yeah, Alan Kowicki. Yeah, I, I heard the entire series and I was just like, wow, this guy is such a badass. He, I was, I went from somebody who didn't care about NASCAR to so like, hey, how can I write to the the Hall of Fame so that he could be inducted? Like, dude, yeah. you guys did an awesome job with that series. And anybody who, um, even a student or whatever, I tell them like, dude, listen to what these NASCAR guys are doing. The Arrow stuff, yeah. like you know, the little cheater stuff that they do is freaking dope. Oh man. The, the, and thank you for the kind words about the Kawiki thing that we, we still get people that come up to us about that, especially when I'm in Wisconsin racing or if we're, we're doing something at Road America for the show. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool because he was just such an interesting guy. And, uh, for him to get inducted into the hall of fame, we don't think we really did anything to do, you know, like we think he got it on his own. We just might've, might've like opened people's eyes to it a little bit. Yeah. And we did have, I can't, I can't remember who it was that emailed me. I think it might've been Mike joy or somebody, but they said that everybody on the, on the voting panel got sent the link to our video. And so everybody <laughs> that voted from, from their side saw what we did. And I was like, well, that's really, really, you know, that's so cool. But, um, yeah, NASCAR, man, like, and IndyCar is crazy like this, too, but you expect yeah. it <clears throat> from IndyCar because they used to build all their own engines and chassis and all sorts yeah. of stuff, and now it's kind of like spec stuff, so it's getting even harder to come up with ingenu- ingenuity and, 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 yeah. and these different ideas. But the uh, the NASCAR guys, man, they think of some crazy ideas to how to make those cars go around that corner. And when you think about it, oval racing, you only have two turns. They call them four turns, but we both know that an oval is basically yeah. two turns, yeah. you know. Um, but they have two turns to try to make a difference in a straightaway. And a lot of them use the same engines now, you know, they use yeah. the same suppliers, Hendrick or Roush or whoever it is. And so that means your motor advantages are kind of gone away. So it really comes down to handling and the drivers. And when you look at the talent over there, a lot of those guys are equally awesome. So it really comes down to the engineering and the crew. It's just such a cool thing to see to me because they're in such a tight little box. They have such strict rules. Like their rules are so insanely strict. So when one of those guys starts coming up and winning and doing stuff, you think, oh man, they figured something out. You know what I mean? And to me, that's just so cool. And then we, we talked to Ray Everham a couple of years ago and he told us a couple of the cheats that he had figured out. And it was like, man, this guy is so smart. Like he is just so sharp and knows it. And it was just so, so empowering to me. I'm like, man, like think outside the box, think like Ray Everham. You're going to figure some stuff out. You're going to see some, some success and i for the life of me i wish we had more people celebrating how those guys do that instead of just you know thinking that they're a bunch of rednecks driving in circles because they are smart engineers over there doing some really cool stuff yeah and i think um it's something that i you know as i'm progressing and building myself up i i realize that when you're doing something difficult like road racing you you really do a disservice to you to ignore information from coming from other people or other areas of the genre uh, of the sport because you can learn something from those guys doing the circle track or dirt track that maybe you um were ignoring or not putting enough attention into that could uh pay dividends on a track like Auto Club Speedway where it's high speed and Maybe you set up your alignment a little bit different that, and copy something from uh, one of the guys over there, and it could give you an edge uh, to make a pass where uh, another driver who's maybe ignoring that um, that knowledge point will will not um, be able to do. So I, I think um, learning from all the different areas, all the different uh, disciplines of road racing and circle track and all of those really opens your your idea to think um like you were saying uh for different things and seeing how they will fit into um it fit into your series or what whatever you're trying to do and i mean for me i know i, I keep mentioning how 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 ignorant i was um 
but when I first started out, people were would tell me, "Hey, don't don't try too hard. Uh, Roger Pansky's not gonna be out here." And for me, I was like, "The rental trucks, like the yellow trucks. I want to drive a, right. a rental truck. I don't care about that. I don't know who who the Roger Pansky is. Is it like U-Haul? Like I don't know who this yeah. is." Yeah. But then when I hear the stories about how serious that person is and people like Roush uh, from your Lynn St. James uh, interview and her mm-hmm. talking about how how slick she was. That, that's one of the things that I learned a lot is that if you want to be very uh, good or have a good future in um, road racing – you gotta be slick, like uh, Lynn St. James. Uh, I I enjoy her episode. I I show it to my mm-hmm. fiance, and she's just like, she's a G. Like the way she was able to hustle her way through and convincing Roush to make sure that she gets good cars because it'll look good for him instead of like another driver who's more talented. So, ah oh, man, I, I I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been really neat to learn about heroes of ours from the sport that you wouldn't know those kind of stories about them. You know what I mean? Like you, you get these little insights and, and tidbits and, uh, and we're not talking about just like nobody's Lynn St. James is a huge part of the history of motorsports yeah. and Jack Roush Jr. Or sorry, Jack Roush is absolutely a huge part of our racing history as well. And so when you hear him talking about stuff, it's just like, man, like, I can't believe I get to listen to this and, and hear this, and I can't believe like what everybody went through to get where they got. It's just been it's been a really surreal experience. Yeah, and when you listen to like people like Andretti when he first got here, and how they just like got jumpsuits and said, "Oh yeah, we're racers," even though they were way too young <laughs> to be racing, and went out there yep. uh, started racing. It was just like, wait, what? <laughs> that that was so yeah, wild. exactly. Yeah, well, like we've learned from our show, so many people lied on their first trip <laughs> to racing. You know, like whether it was to get into the pits or to get in the car or to get sponsorship or whatever it is, so many of them have lied. And, uh, you know, we like to joke that they're little white lies, but uh, it's, it's pretty funny how so many racers are willing to do whatever they got to do to get in there. And, I, and I, I totally get it. So obviously you went from doing your first race over in Sonoma and then building up um, to where you are now. And what do you think was the biggest thing that helped you improve as a driver as you were building yourself up? You know, I often refer to my time as a racing instructor when I worked at the Panos Racing School, which also had a uh, Audi driving experience attached to it. also had a Saab Aero Academy driving experience attached to it. I think we did programs for Cadillac as well and Maserati. Um, a lot of those programs, we would use the skid pad and we would do a lot of lead follow. And when you're driving all the time, you pick up so many things that you wouldn't really think about when you're talking about it all the time and teaching it, you'll be just teaching like a teenager how to drive in wet conditions. Mm -hmm. And you're just talking and talking and going through the motions all the time. That becomes such a second nature that you know what to do when you're putting those situations yourself. And I think not only working at a school like that, where you're driving race cars on a regular basis and you're talking the talk all the time, which just burns into you, but also just running on a skid pad constantly, getting good at car control, understanding how to slide a car off a corner and get that maximum amount of speed without spinning or overcorrecting. I think those are like actual technical things that helped me as a driver uh, mm. that I couldn't really figure out how I would have gotten there otherwise. You know, I would have had to do it while on a race weekend and learning how to slide someone's race car, you know, can be very costly if it goes wrong. (laughs) Yeah. The roof error is really small there because you not only dealing with you controlling the car and keeping it away from the other, uh, the obstacles out, whether it be a wall tire wall or whatnot, but other cars as well, who are trying to capitalize on that mistake and uh, dive under you or dive over you. So yeah, no, that's, that's interesting because again, I'm 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 trying to copy down some notes and go like, what did Eversley do, and what can I copy? What can I do to like figure out how to uh, how to get better? So yeah, that that that's a really good point. Yeah, seat time, seat time, seat time, man. Like it, it's the most expensive part, right? It's trying to get yeah. in a car on a track 
and getting that experience. But I mean, like it is the most helpful thing. And that, that includes go-karts and that includes simulators too. Like anything you can get in just to keep sharp and just yeah. to keep the muscle memory going and the reflexes and the reactions, any, any of that stuff that you can do, I can't stress enough how helpful it can be. And I think part of the, uh, uh, part of my, I shouldn't say, uh, struggle, but like part of my recent thing in racing is that I only race for Honda and Acura for the most part. Mm-hmm. If I'm racing something else, it's, it's, it's very unusual. Like I'm racing an SRO, uh, GT4 this weekend. And that's pretty much because I had a previous relationship with my customer mm-hmm. and Honda was cool enough to let me stay with him in another type of car. Mm-hmm. But point being, I don't race as much as I used to because I have a contract and I have a set amount of races that they want me to do. Mm-hmm. And when you're starting out and you're getting pro rides, you're driving everything you're driving, exactly. you know? Yeah. And so the more you drive, the better you're off you are. And so nowadays I'm like, man, I want to drive something this weekend, just knock the rust off. You know, we take, mm. if we look at the COVID break between Daytona yeah. and Sebring was like four months. And normally it's like a month and a half, two months. And I remember getting to Sebring, like I haven't driven anything since Daytona. Like I, like this first session is going to be a little tough and, you know, and so it took a couple apps to feel like I knew what I was doing because that's the longest I've gone without driving a race car since I started racing cars. No way. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't had a, cause if you look at it, they told it to, it was, it was, it was like five months, right? Cause it was yeah. January to June. And, uh, yeah. And so when I got in the car, it was like, the first thing I realized was I'm like, man, I feel claustrophobic. You oh. know, cause I've got, that, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I've, I haven't had this much like gear on. I haven't been this crammed into a car in a minute. And uh, it took me like a couple laps just to kind of get my bearings right. But we were fast. And so it came right back. But I do remember having a little bit of anxiety, like, man, I haven't had to figure this out again. It's been, it's been, you know, almost half a year. And it's just funny because that hasn't happened in so long. Well, the good thing is that Honda has so many cars out there in terms of like Hondas that are out there pretty much every weekend racing that hopefully once COVID uh, restrictions start to round, once we round the corner with them, um, you'll have more opportunities to uh, race and hopefully you can um, stay as competitive as you are and maybe even make some more podcasts, even though I, I know you guys get so many, so many uh, messages from the internet telling you to do more podcasts. And um, yeah. I, I mean, you guys do such an awesome job with them. Your Jamaica series, dude. Just learning uh, about other countries and what they do uh, in racing is freaking awesome. And I loved how you guys were able to kind of like, like the one thing that I really enjoyed from Dinner with Racers that is something that I'm trying to emulate is I want to start talking about local businesses that do maybe like small manufacturing um, to make uh, specific parts and components for hondas and whatnot because i feel like sometimes that story isn't spotlighted uh in a way with like a podcast and it's very different when you hear the person talking about their passion and manufacturing and doing these things and it kind of came um came through when you guys were doing your series on the racetracks and hearing how passionate these people were about you know, Road Atlanta, even the small little oval track that you guys went mm-hmm. to. I mean, that that was uh, that kind of showed me and kind of like started the gears uh, to turn in my head to start my own little podcast and talk about yeah. the SoCal road racing scene because I think we have a really rich um, history here in SoCal specifically. Well, Southern California has such a huge car culture. It doesn't even have to be racing based. You know what I mean? Like everything from hot rods to tuning Mm -hmm. to drag racing. I mean like drag racing in California back in the, back in the day was like a big deal. You know, Pomona was like a huge, huge deal. And all the East coasters would talk about it and stuff. Um, You think of all the the beach boys and things like that, that had songs about their cars. So car culture in California, like one of my favorite things about going out there is the things you're going to see on the highway or like back roads. You know, you see a lot of cool old Volkswagen buses. You see a lot of cool old Porsches. 
And uh, of course, you're going to see a ton of of tuned out, you know, Hondas and and Acuras and stuff like that. So, car culture out there is so cool, and it's neat to hear that we had a little bit of an influence on on you doing your show. We've heard that from a few people before, and it's so neat because we honestly didn't know if we would do a second season because we didn't know if anybody oh. listened to the first one. Oh, you know man. what I mean? It was like, like Sean was like, Hey, look, this might not go well. I've been on shows for TV that were well funded with good actors and they got canceled after one season. So you just never know. I was like, Oh, good point. And here we are going into like, I don't even think we do seasons anymore. We just keep going. <laughs> you know, we don't yeah. even say like season six or whatever. Um, and it looks like the TV shows doing really well despite COVID and all that crap. So, you know, I think we're going to keep going with that, too. Um, But it really comes down to the listener. If people don't listen to us, then no one's going to buy tires and no one's going to keep the show going. So it's our job to, like, give listeners something of of value. So we can't just keep doing the same crap that we we did before, and we can't do the same thing everybody else is doing. And so I think that's why we've been successful is because Mm -hmm. we think outside the box we stay true to ourselves we try not to be too yuck yuck and ham ham you know you know just like corny and and i think it's it's worked and there's nothing wrong with that stuff for other people but that's just not what our show is so yeah it's been uh it's been an adventure i'll tell you that yeah and one of the key things is also for shows like yours is if you have sponsors and you like that product that they're making Support the sponsors that support the podcast, like Acura, like Valvoline, who just got on there, and um, like Continental Tires. I mean, um, I'm buying Continental belts for my my Civic because nice. the other belts uh, ended up failing, so i got to go Continental. And it's really because I know that I can put that story up on Instagram and it'll help show those sponsors yeah. to say, hey, you know... I'm doing these purchases so that you guys can continue to support these guys doing something that I like. And it's something that I need. So why not go out there and support the people that support the things that you like? Yeah. And, and, and like I say this a lot now and I feel like I'm broken record, but I'm so fortunate mm-hmm. that it's like, they're all good products. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't have to convince you that continental makes a good tire. They're one of the best tire brands in the world yeah. you know it's not like i'm pushing like steve's tire that makes it <laughs> home and no one no one knows it's continental like they're really good uh valvoline is the original motor oil they're yeah. really good they just want another nascar race you know like they win all the time with like their best you know with their with their stuff it's valvoline yeah. <laughs> you know and then acura like i drive one every day we yeah. use one on the show yeah i I don't, I don't drive for a crappy car company, you know what I mean? mean? So it's, um, yeah, yeah, I'm really fortunate that the products that we are partnered with sell themselves, but the fans are so cool and appreciative to go, man, I know this makes a difference. And it does like they get every email and we send (laughs) so many, we send so many tweets and direct messages to, to our partners. Like, Hey, look, we sold it. And they're like, we know we saw the tag. Like, right, right. I just want, I just want you to see that. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like, cause it, it does. It matters. And yeah. on my black EG, all I'm using is a Valvoline uh, VR1 because it's got high zinc. Yeah. That's what my engine builder told me to do is get an oil with high zinc. And I, was, I saw Valvoline and I'm like, all right, they support dinner with racers. I'm going to support them. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's that's why we have this show because that's been very, very subscribed fans. Like, man, I tell you, I, I didn't ever think I was going to have racing fans. I didn't really think about it at all. I just wanted to drive race cars. Yeah. And it like, I, I kind of didn't think about the fan side of it because I just wanted to drive. And now that people come up and they know who you are and, and they're like excited to meet you or talk to you about racing or even the show or whatever, it's like the coolest thing ever. So when we have the support we do, that's why we're able to do these things. And it's just been, it's been so cool. Yeah. Ryan, look, I can't tell you how much uh, this means to me for you to come on my lonely little podcast that I'm recording <laughs> in my little Civic e- EG. Uh, in my, uh, I love that you're rec- you're recording it in your car. That's so cool. Record. I mean, how much more of a company man can you be right here? That yeah. the sound studio is literally a Honda product down the street from HPD. So um, yeah, yeah. 
You're yeah. killing it, man. You are, you are, you're what I like to refer to as my people. Oh, you know, you're a Honda guy. You. You're my, my people. Thank my people. you. Yeah. Thank you. Because I'm the, I'm the same level of dork. I'm with you, man. We're doing this together. Oh, thank you so very much. <laughs> so, guys, anybody listening here, support uh, the brands that support the things that uh, you like. So, Valvoline, uh, Continental, Acura. Make sure to tag um, Dinner with Racers and um, uh, Ryan Eversley. And we forgot to mention uh, your your co-host, John Heckman. But I, like him, my fiance has a, a lovely fascination with corgis. We have a half corgi uh, dog. And um, ju- just for him, I'm going to go and have a chicken sandwich for uh, dinner today. Nice. Well, today is actually... March twenty second, which is uh, Sean's birthday, so oh. in his honor, oh. you should absolutely have a chicken sandwich. Oh, yeah! I will send him a message on Instagram. Hopefully, he he reads that. Well, Ryan, yeah, I I can't tell you how much it means to me for you to come down to uh, my lowly levels, but I greatly appreciate it. I wish you all the success in the GT four series you're going to be racing in, and also. In the Honda series, uh, the TCR car that you're racing and dude, uh, I'll be cheering you on and sending all the tags, uh, to make sure that the sponsors keep supporting you guys, you and Sean, and hopefully awesome. you guys can have a uh, separate, uh, hotel rooms in the next budget, <laughs> uh, trip. It'll never happen. We'll, we'll still be too cheap and want to try to save money. But uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time for me, Jaime. And uh, anytime you ever uh, want to chat about Hondas, you know you know who to call. So thanks uh, for having me on. And dude, good luck you. with the show. Thank you. And with that, that's it for today, guys. Thank you.